Well, what's good, everybody? It's a special night tonight on October 18th, 2018, and we have done it. We finally hit episode 100 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Uh, we've been doing this for quite a few years, but uh, Schwan and I finally did it. You know, we started out with myself and Roy Billington, then it kind of went to myself for a little while. And then Schwan came in, and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. So, Schwan, man, how you doing on episode 100 tonight? Oh, I'm doing good, man. It's like a, it's like a one of those one of those landmark moments, and it's a, it's it's actually something I'm really I'm really proud of because I remember when you and Michael actually approached me on this, and I was kind of hesitant, but then you know to actually be a part of something that's been going on and kind of increasing as far as the membership and the quality of the show and and kind of the attention we've been getting, it's kind of a something you you're very proud of because you were, I mean you should be really proud because you've been in there from the very beginning. I just came on you know, a couple of years into it, but it's something I feel proud of because it's something I've committed to and slowly worked our way up. You know, I never thought we would have been interviewing guys like Trevor Whitman and Arlene Sanchez and Marcus Davis and, and Stephen Wright, guys like that, or even Mike Russell, you know, when we first started, I thought it'd just be us talking mixed martial arts. And here we are just moving along and slowly moving up the scale of a uh, podcast. Yeah, man. Um, it's been, it's been quite the run and, you know, I'm glad we made it this far. You know, there are some things I think we can, better but as always man that's always the case i'm just glad that we're rocking and rolling and still doing the damn thing here yeah definitely it's it's been uh one of the it's like one of those things i don't know about for you but i have a lot of stuff you know i'm do, i always do i'm always spending my time doing stuff for other people whether it's coaches who are calling me about fighters it's kids i'm training basketball my own kids my own family so it's like one of those things that is uh it's kind of like i mean it's not just for me but it's it's kind of one of more of my things that I have more control over and more say into. So it's like, there's days when honestly, I'll be like, I don't want to do the podcast. And after I do it, I'm like, man, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> I feel a lot better after I did that. So it, it's been one of those things to kind of help me get through whatever I've been going through or distract me from whatever I'm going through that I just don't have as much control over or don't have as much say in. But it's been a, kind of a godsend or relief for me. I don't know about how, how it is for you, but it's definitely been that for me. Yeah, man, it's definitely been um, a hell of a... Is that on your end or mine? Yeah, I just hey. I have to turn this off real quick. Give me just one second. No problem. He's tripping out on me. All right, there we go. All right, sorry All about that. All right, man. So we got a little bit to talk about today um, before anyone starts joining in. So let's go ahead and kind of jump right into it. And let's start with the news about Eddie Alvarez. Um, former Bellator, former UFC lightweight champion is moving over to one FC, or excuse me, one championship now, that's what it's called. Um, he will be fighting in their 169-pound division. Uh, what do you think about this, man? Um, what are your thoughts about this from a competition standpoint, and how does this impact Eddie's uh, legacy as a, as a, as a champion? Uh, from a competition standpoint, I don't, I don't really know that they have the level he's faced in Bellator or UFC, to be quite honest. I mean, I guess he'll be facing – I mean, luckily for him, the division he works in ha has a lot of high-level people, so, so there should be some decent competition, but it's definitely a step back. Uh, it can't possibly hurt his legacy, though. His legacy was already set once he won – basically once he won the UFC, UFC championship, his legacy was already set. He's competed in almost every major, major North American um, – organization and he's he's competed overseas he's fought a who's who he's the only guy to be a bellator and ufc champion and you look at his resume of guys he's beaten it's hall of fame worthy you look at the resume of the guys he's just fought it's even closer to hall of fame worthy so this isn't going to affect anything everybody knows this recognizes this for what it is 
It's essentially him closing out his career, um, getting big paydays, and hopefully following up with a one a one uh, championship title. But really, it's basically for the paydays. You knew the UFC wasn't going to pay him. You knew Bellator wasn't really going to pay him. So he's just trying to maximize his name and maximize any, any leverage and any branding he got from fighting in the UFC and kind of close out his career. I mean, everybody knows he's on the back nine. So this doesn't affect anything as far as my impression of Eddie Alvarez. He spilt enough blood for us fans to never have to be questioned about his character or his quality as a fighter. that for in my opinion I, I am not upset with this move because i think a it comes at the right time for him i believe he's 34 years old 36 maybe and i'm not going to say he's on the decline i'm not going to disrespect him in that way but he's at that point where fighters kind of and athletes in general tend to decline so i think it's the right move for him at this point in time because it puts him in a position to continue competing it puts him in a position to continue making substantial money competing probably more money than he would have made in the in the ufc um as i don't know if you saw and, his post on twitter yeah, but you think that's an old 34 though that's an old 34 because he's been yeah. in some wars that's not a normal 34 that's I mean, a that's like a for years he's been taking damage for years and it gives him an opportunity to continue competing, continue doing his thing, and I think he'll be making more money than he would have made within the UFC. He talked about it briefly uh, when he was doing his social media posts, and he said how pleased he was with the deal. So I think this is the right move for him, and I'm not upset with this at all. Can I ask you, do you, do you respect him a little bit more? Because, and I, I don't mean to downplay any MMA fighter who fights in the UFC or Bellator, but oftentimes you hear guys complain about money, and they're like, they underpay me, they underpay me, but then they could go to another organization, but they stay with the UFC. And I understand the, the lure of wanting to be in the best competition and fight for the best, but as me and you have talked about many times, memories don't feed your family or pay any bills. You know, that time you fought the number four ranked fighter and one of the best fights of the year, it doesn't pay for anything two years down the line or get your kids braces or helps your wife out or helps your wife's family out when somebody gets sick or somebody gets injured. Do you have a little bit more respect for him that he was willing to make that break and, and get the full of money he wanted or, or as close to it as possible? Am I do I respect him? I mean, I'm a fan of, of free agency within MMA, period. Seeing these guys find avenues to make more money for themselves or to get better deals for themselves is something I'm here for. We're gonna talk about Ryan Bader and a couple other guys later on tonight as well because he just fought as well but i think that this is always the right move if you put yourself in a position to make more money and to have a better opportunity to succeed i'm i'm a big fan of that and i'm here for that all day every day yes it may not give quote unquote mma fans the opportunity to see the biggest and best fights that they want to see but it still it gives them an opportunity to continue seeing their favorite fighters one way or another, still compete at a high level. And whether you, you like who they're competing with or, or not, if you're a fan, you should watch, or you don't have to. That's really not the whole point. Um, so, yeah, in my opinion, I think that this is the best move for him, and I, I definitely totally uh, respect it. Yeah, I mean, I, I know how some fans will take it, but I'm like, how, how can you possibly hate on a guy winning? He's, he, he's still close to being elite. And he's going to be getting, I'm assuming, at least double what he's getting paid in the UFC. How can you hate on that? He's going to be pushed. He's going to be a big name. He's going to get sponsorship opportunities. He's going to get more money. I mean, like, I can understand if you have a safety first kind of fighter, but with a guy who's given as much of himself to the sport as Eddie, 
how do you have any complaint with him doing this? I mean, and you know, he got a bunch. He got like four kids, so it ain't like he can afford to to be shorting himself at all in a career that could end in the snap of a finger. You know, I, I, I'm just, I'm glad that he's actually following through on it and not just giving, going back to the UFC so he can have another run in glory. I get that aspect of it. Well, obviously, I don't get it enough. I've never been a fighter. But that, that real-life aspect of having to feed your family or having to take care of yourself after the sport's done, I don't see how anybody passes up consistency or stability for that thrill. And maybe that's just because I never, never competed at that level. Maybe that's what it is. So now let's talk about what fights do you want to do you want to see him take? Me personally, I'm more most interested in that Shinya Aoki rubber match. You know, they both have one win over each other. Shinya Aoki got a win via uh, heel hook, and Eddie Alvarez—I think it was knee bar—and Eddie Alvarez uh, won via knockout in Bellator. What do you think about that fight as, as third time around? Because uh, Alvarez has said he's not interested in it. I think it's a big payday. I think it's going to happen, but. What other fights do you think he could see he could take over there in one FC? The biggest thing I'm thinking, I'm hoping there could be some kind of cross promotion. I don't know that they have any guys out there that I want to see him fight. Like, oh, I'd love to see Eddie fight. I don't know enough about their fighters. I mean, I'm sure there's guys who could give him some some bit of a challenge, but as far as an and a fight that's appealing or I have to see that fight or I look forward to that fight, none of their guys except for Ioki has any sort of name value. Maybe they could talk to somebody from Risen. Maybe they could do a cross-promotion with Bellator. That, that's the only way you'd have fights that would generate interest to the people in North America. And, and I mean, there's some fans. He has fans all over the world who are just going to watch him fight, but actually generate interest where we kind of wonder where the fight could go or if it'd be competitive. I don't, I don't know anybody on their roster who generates that kind of interest for me. It'd have to be some kind of cross-promotion or maybe borrow somebody on loan from one of the other organizations. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. I don't have any matchups that I have to see Eddie fight in. I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if they can get Ben Askren to come out of retirement to fight him. I think that's a big fight. Ben Askren will, will get paid. I doubt it happens, but I was thinking about that earlier today as, as something that we could hope for. Yeah, I mean, that's about the closest thing you could uh, you could get to any name value. I don't know that if I'm Eddie, I take that fight because Askren's obviously the bigger guy. He's such a bigger wrestler. Eddie doesn't mind losing, but I think he wants to lose in fights to give him a chance to showcase his his violence, his toughness, his heart, his his dog, the dog in him. A fight with um, a fight with Askren just doesn't seem very appealing as far as how that works in his in his favor. I'd rather them see if they could get like a Patricky Pitbull and see if Bellator would loan him loan Patricky over, or see if they could get a guy from Risen, even a Darren Crookshank, and have him fight fight uh Alvarez that might even make some sense but like I said anybody who's currently or has recently worked with one it doesn't it doesn't have enough appeal to me nothing against Eddie nothing against them but they don't have anybody who's accomplished enough that's going to make me sit down and be like I have to see this fight so I mean I, I totally agree with you I, and I, I see your your standpoint there I think it's some good analysis um I'm just a fan of Ben Askren talking but we'll see what happens um I'm not even kind of convinced that he will come back and fight again, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's keep the conversation going. You know, I had originally had us talking about UFC 229, but all the analysis about that has been said, gone, come and gone. I don't want to touch on that anymore. So let's keep going from there. Let's talk about Bellator first, and we'll talk about some fight announcements for some upcoming um, cards here. Let's talk about Bellator, where they had two events last weekend, Bellator 207 and 208. At 207, 
we saw Matt Mitrion lose to Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader now advances to the finals of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix, where he will be facing off against Fedor Emelianko, who defeated Cho Sun in the next night. So it's Fedor versus Ryan Bader in the finals. Uh, this first thing I want you to do, Schwann, break down both of their fights individually, and then talk to me about what you see when these two guys will pair off sometime in 2019. Um, basically, the, the Mitrione fight, that was predictable. I, I don't hate Matt Mitrione. He's a great athlete, as far as, especially for mixed martial arts heavyweights. He's an outstanding athlete. He's got a unorthodox, but very, uh, it's kind of an attribute, attribute-based striking style. But it's very effective given his movement, his timing, his length, his explosiveness, his power. But the fact of the matter is, in all the time he's been in mixed martial arts, he has never learned how to wrestle. He has never learned how to grapple. Not not defensively, not offensively. He's just terrible. He really is that bad at it. I mean, he got dominated on the ground by Travis Brown. Travis Brown dominated him on the ground. That's how bad he is. And if you remember, he fought Kimbo, rest in peace, and he beat Kimbo on the feet. But Kimbo took him down like three or four times and held him down. Kimbo Slice, who is nobody's wrestler, and a guy who was probably 25 pounds lighter than Mitrione coming in. Mitrione is just a horrible defensive wrestler, horrible defensive grappler, horrible offensive grappler, and he has no ability to defend. I mean, people talk about how Connor was dominated by Khabib. That didn't really happen. Connor held his own on the ground in spots. The, the actual domination on the ground was Bader versus Mitrione. That was awful on so many levels. Um, I, as for Bader, Bader fought smart. He he's managed to fight the right. He's managed to fight within himself. He used to get really antsy and really jumpy and fight to his opponent's strength. Look at the Glover Teixeira fight. That's a key example of it. Look at the Leota Machida fight. He's out there trying to strike with Machida at range against Glover Teixeira. He's getting in boxing exchanges. And though he has power and he has some athleticism, it's not his suit. He's not a good enough defensively. He's not good enough offensively to win that battle. So when he fought King Mo, he came out early, countered him on the feet, was able to finish him. This fight against Mitrion, he didn't even mess around on the feet. He really was doing everything to set up the takedown. He got it, and when he got on the ground, he didn't try anything fancy. He didn't try for submission. He really just controlled him and just beat the hell out of him because he knew Mitrion had no ability to create a scramble, no ability to work himself out of that position, and no ability to submit him or offer any sort of threat for a sweep or a bridge out from the bottom. So basically, he just did the grappling version of walking Mitrion down. And um, he, to be, it was an impressive showing because Mitrion is so big and athletic, but Mitrion really is so one dimensional and so terrible and so limited in that one dimension. This fight was, was the easiest fight to pick in the world. Mitrion just had no other tools unless Bader fought the dumbest fight possible. And Bader's just too smart. He's too seasoned a veteran at this stage to be fighting a dumb fight. Um, I don't know what they do with Mitrion. This is a really bad look for him. He got manhandled and beat up by a light heavyweight. And it, it, it looks horrible. For Bader, it just adds to his legend and makes you see how fighting in another organization can refresh your whole career, resuscitate your whole career. Because Bader's looked unstoppable. He's looked unbeatable since he's been in Bellator. The one caveat I have with, Bell- with Bader, I haven't seen him take any punishment. And the, the part of that's because he's good. Part of that's because of the luck of the draw and how the fights have been going. Bader's chin has always been – he's always been a little chinny. I still believe he is, and it's just nobody's been able to get to him. That's going to be a concern for me moving forward fighting Fedor. I think Fedor can get to him. Fedor is not good when he gets hit. He's not good when he gets to rocks. He tends to panic. We just haven't seen it yet. He hasn't had his chin tested. 
I don't think he gets through the championship without getting it. So before you continue on, I want you to fix your audio a little bit because you're cutting out. But something I heard very interesting today in reference to this upcoming fight was that Ryan Bader, you're right. He has shown that he is chinny, uh, and he's shown that like people point to his fight with Tito Ortiz from years ago where he was dropped and finished by someone that majority of the MMA community at that time thought was over the hill and done. If Fedor gets to his chin and knocks him out, is this a black, a big enough black guy on Ryan Bader's uh, career to kind of wipe out all the past uh, success that he's had? I mean, Ryan Bader has been on a hell of a tear. He has not lost since 2016 uh, when he dropped the fight to Anthony Johnson. And, I mean, he's only lost three times in the almost the last seven years, well, in six years. Uh, so if he loses to Fedor, is this enough of a fight or is this a, enough of a loss to kind of denigrate all that work? No, I, I don't think so because nobody thinks Bader is truly an elite fighter. Even now on his run in Bellator, people think he's around a top, Five-ish, top seven-ish, probably top five-ish light heavyweight in the world. Maybe higher because light heavyweight is so thin. But really a top five-ish light heavyweight. That hasn't changed. The thing that's changed is the opposition in Bellator's maybe a, maybe a half step lower than the UFC. It's still good. These A lot of these guys in Bellator could fight in the UFC. Not all of them would be in the top five, top seven of the UFC. So nobody's thinking the Bader's somehow unbeatable when somebody he's some kind of dynamo now he's had some matchups against guys who are skilled and have some talent but aren't truly elite guys it's just shown that Bader is better than the rest of the light heavyweight division which he's been the majority of time in the UFC the only people he's lost to have been more or less elite guys he hasn't lost to the you know second tier guys or the low first tier guys he's really only lost to the best guys in division Anthony Johnson uh future title challenger double title challenger who John Jones one of the most dominant fighters in the history of the um, division and the world. I mean, he, he doesn't lose to just nobodies. So this, this really hasn't changed, I don't think, the overall perception. If he gets beat by Fedor, if he beats Fedor, once again, that shows that he's grown and he's developed. But if he loses to Fedor, I don't think it hurts him at all, especially if he loses by knockout. I mean, that's pretty much the only way people could see him losing. And it wouldn't shock me at all because he, I haven't seen him tested in a manner that shows that he's resolved the issues he's had in the UFC which is how he responds to pressure and how he responds when he's hurt. Until I see that, I can't really say he's made a whole change. I can just say he's fought smarter and avoided his weak spots. So I'm, I'm going to say, hmm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to totally agree with you that Bader isn't elite. Let me ask you this. If he was in the UFC today, right now, right this moment, where do you think he would rank in the 205 division? Probably, I'd say probably, probably three or four. Yeah, probably three or four. I, I don't, I don't know that he, he. I can't put him ahead of Jones, even though Jones is about. I guess Cormier is still technically the champion, at least right now. I wouldn't put him below Cormier. I don't know that he beats Alexander Gustafsson either. But everybody after that, I'm pretty. He's either beating them, or I think he would beat them. But those three guys would still be ahead of him, in my opinion. What about, so you said Cormier is ahead of him, Jones, and maybe Gustafsson? Yeah, I would say those three. 
Okay, cool. I, I can get with that. I can get with that. So, what does this mean for his legacy if he messes around and wins the Bellator heavyweight title? Because he'll be a double champion with both belts. Um, does this? What does this do for him as a fighter? What is his legacy after this win? Is it enough that he should be considered in the conversation of a of a quote unquote all time great, or is this like a is this like how, how can I put it into is this like Wayne Rooney? going from the Champions League, coming over to MLS when he's past his prime and not and it's not that great of a moment. It's kind of like that, but for this division, the light heavyweight division is so thin, and Bellator has had enough light heavyweight to, I believe, could fight in the UFC. Plus the fact that it's kind of like the Uriah Faber effect in the UFC. Uriah Faber has never won a title in the UFC, but he's beaten everybody else except for the best of the best in almost two weight divisions. Bader has beaten everybody except for the very best in the division. So even though that doesn't make him maybe like an all-time great because he's beaten the greats, when you've beaten everybody else except the greats, there's a certain amount of greatness with you to get to that point repeatedly. It's kind of like the Buffalo Bills effect. The Buffalo Bills can't be the greatest team of all time, but how can they not be counted as one of the greatest teams because they made it to four Super Bowls? And that's nobody's done that since. That's very hard to do to make four Super Bowls in a row. You have to have some kind of greatness. So I, I would say the belt that in the grand scheme of things, Bader would be considered one of the better light heavyweights of all time. But winning this heavyweight division, winning this division, the light heavyweight and the heavyweight division are two of the weakest divisions in the history of the sport. And Bellator, the matchups they've given him in this tournament have kind of played to his favor. I mean, King Mo would have been a hard matchup for him. Fado is probably a hard matchup for him. But in the even in those instances, he's younger than King Mo. He's younger than Fedor. Um, Fedor has been on a decline, and Match Mitrion is just terrible. is is an all round fighter. So while it's impressive because he's beaten up heavyweights and he would be a double champ, which is historic, it doesn't carry as much weight because who is he beaten? I mean, in my opinion, the best if he even if he beats Fedor, his best win in this tournament will have been beating King Mo because he's the only guy with the wrestling comparable to not allow Bader to control when and where the fight goes. And he was a guy who was on a win streak or had won more than he lost recently. So it's just, it's one that he'll still be, he'll be listed up there, but he won't be in that tier, that top tier of greatness. Like kind of like a Hall of Famer first ballot. And there's guys who got on the third and fourth. They're still Hall of Famers, but there's a clear separation between them and the first ballot Hall of Famers. That's how I'd see Bader. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you there at all. Let's talk about Fedor um, on the other side of this fight. Uh, is he done? This and and uh, I, I was we'll, I got another one for you right after this. Uh, I I don't think I don't think he's done. Like a lot of people are going to downplay the win over Chael, but so many people before the fight were saying it's a 50-50 fight, or they thought Chael was going to put hands on on Fedor. I heard a lot of people saying even before the Frank Mir fight, I heard people saying Mir was going to get Fedor out of there. So you can't favor the other guy or say it's 50-50. And then when Fedor wins, take away from his win and say, oh, he's fighting a guy who's smaller than him. Oh, he's fighting a guy who's not that great. You weren't saying that all the way to leave. You said 50-50 or some people said Chael's going to win. He did an excellent job. He still showed some of that athleticism. He showed a lot of poise and distance management skills. And quite frankly, Chael's still a very good wrestler. Chael can take down heavyweights. Chael can take down light heavyweights. He's really a middleweight. And he was able to defend Chael's takedowns and counter him quite, quite sharply. I know Chael's not who he used to be, but Chael, if nothing else, can still wrestle. There's very few guys he hasn't taken down that he's fought, win or lose. And Fedor just shut him down completely. I don't see how you take away from what he did. Is he what he used to be? No. But I don't think he's done. 
even just based off his athleticism alone and his ability to find his punch placement and his accuracy and his power, he's still a threat. If he's smart, if he fights smart and put uses all the tools, he, I still think he could be a top top seven, possibly top five heavyweight. It's just a matter of whether his chin holds up. But skill wise, he's still better than the majority of heavyweights we see on a regular basis. I mean, you tell me he's not better technically than Derek Lewis. I keep going, but because I have an interesting comment to follow up with. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not, it's not an insult to Derek Lewis, but Derek Lewis is a big, strong, tough guy. You ever keep telling me Fader looks like he's wild and out of control? Have you seen a Derek Lewis fight? He's challenging for, for the UFC heavyweight title, and he doesn't really have any discipline that he's mastered where he's skilled at. And you look at Andre Arvlowski. Andre, Andre Arvlowski is still going to decision losses in the UFC. He's got recent UFC wins. Are you telling me Fedor doesn't smoke Arvlowski right now? Because if you tell me that, I'm telling you Fedor walks through that dude right now. There's a lot of guys on the UFC roster who Fedor can handle. So while he's not what he used to be, he's still better than the average heavyweight, and people can't dismiss that just because of the fact that he's lost a couple fights to very good fighters outside of the UFC or guy, or he's never competed in the UFC. People act like UFC heavyweights are some mythical unicorns. They're, they're really average to mediocre fighters, just like the majority of heavyweights in mixed martial arts, to be, to be fair. So I think Fedor has a lot to give. I think if he's in the UFC right now, he'd be no worse than maybe a top five, top seven heavyweight, probably top five. Stipe, Cormier, and who else? Maybe Nganu might be the only guys I put over him. And after Nganu's last performance, or Blades, Blades and Nganu. And after Nganu's last performance, I can't put him over Fedor. He was fighting scared against a guy with limited skills at best. So to, for me to think that... Fedor couldn't get Ngannou out of there. I think it's at least it's at least 50-50. It's at least 50-50. So here's a, a follow. Now, I was trying to think. Um, I was trying to think. What? How many fights Fedor has left with Bellator? Because I would not put it past the UFC to be monitoring the situation. If he was to defeat Vader, could they figure out a way to get him into the UFC and get him at least one fight. You know, you know that they still want this fight in some way, shape, or form. Could they get him into the UFC and get him one heavyweight fight? If he beats Vader and he's and he gets out, he could get out of that contract. The only fight that really makes sense to me, that really would make some kind of sense to me, as far as like doing big numbers and appeal, would be Fedor versus Lesnar. That's the fight to make. I know everybody talks about DC, but Fedor versus Lesnar would sell, especially if Fedor wins this championship, heavyweight Grand Prix, and does it in style. You can't tell me that Fedor versus Lesnar does not do all sorts of numbers. It's a worldwide matchup. It's the unstoppable former UFC heavyweight champion versus the pride and now Bellator champion from Russia. That storyline writes itself. That would be the matchup I'd want to see. You could sell other matchups, but Fedor versus, versus Lesnar – that's the one that I think is comparable as far as age, wear and tear, and the the athleticism, the athletic stage they are in their career, and it's the easiest fight to sell. That that's what I that's what I would pay to see. I mean, you could put him in with John Jones or Daniel Cormier, but Lesnar Lesnar would be the fight that sells the most and be the most competitive fight because Lesnar's still kind of one dimensional. Fedor's you're not too sure about his chin, so you got a, basically a striker who can who can, who can grapple at a high level. And a guy who can strike athletically at a high level, but is more of a wrestler. That'd be an interesting matchup within itself. 
Yeah, I would definitely. I, I, I would watch that. I'm not going to say I would be super excited for it, but booked around the right card, that could be a seller. It, it would be. It'd be the MMA version of Floyd versus Manny. It should have happened five or six years ago when they were closer to their peak. But hey, people still see it now, just so we can just so we can see it. I'll st- I still watch Floyd versus Manny just so I could actually say I saw it with my own eyes. True. And I'll <laughs> watch. I'll watch that for the same reason. True. We all did sit around and um and watch that bad fight. Speaking of yeah, bad terrible. fights, uh, let's talk about the fights that have been announced um by the UFC in the last few days. They've made some changes to UFC 230. They got rid of Valentina Shevchenko versus uh, Shajar Eubanks. They actually put Shajar against Rox- Roxanne Matafari on UFC Did 230. you see what she was saying on Twitter? No, I did not. What did she say? She was like, people were saying, you're going to lose fans going on this ranch. She's like, F the fans. I don't need them. I got my camp and I got the people who love me. And while I understand why you can say that, I don't know, man. I mean, I know they don't pay your bills directly, but they kind of, sort of, impact your ability to make money listen i'm gonna be real with you she is not the type she does not forget fit the demographic that the ufc wants to promote so they they weren't putting money in her pocket anyway period i get that but is cussing out the fans going to help your cause either i mean nothing else you try to get the fans on your side to give you some kind of leverage to keep you in because when you're popular you can lose two or three and still be in there when you're not popular you don't get to lose two and three and still. still she wasn't going to be spot. popular anyway, man. Like she was not going to be. She could have went in there and not and super not, popular. But she, she could be grassroots popular, which will help. Bill Phil Baroni was never a huge star, but she could still be grassroots popular. But the thing is, the fact of the matter is, she was not going to be someone that the UFC pushed anyway. She's an African American female and she is homosexual, so that's not. The demographic that the that 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 the MMA fan base is going to get behind—that's not the demographic that the UFC is going to get behind. Period. I don't know. I saw. I saw. And I always ask this question. It's it's basically what I call the WNBA question. You know, people always say the WNBA needs to get paid more, gets more run. I know a lot of women. None of them watch it. I watch the WNBA. I don't know any women who do. And I know that the LB the, the that community is very popular. If nothing else, if they want to see their themselves supported in the sport why aren't they pouring all their support to the sport to get people who are in their community to that next level of popularity even if you don't support it buy the pay-per-view anyways because she's on it and tell them why see so there's there's some interesting information that there's some interesting misinformation there and i want to share the article with you on twitter when we're done talking about it but the, the WNBA, their attendance and ratings have been growing year over year People do watch that content. It may not be to the same level of the NBA or Major League Baseball or even like professional soccer. People still do watch that content. And then on top of that, if you look at women's the, the, the women's national soccer team, people watch them just as much as they watch the men's, if not more, and the women still don't get paid as much. So there is a space for what proper promotion could do for women's athletes, even if they don't fit within that demographic that people want to see. The UFC does not want to promote women that look like Sajara Eubanks, period. They don't want to promote women that look like Tanya Eminger. They don't want to really promote women that look like, um, I mean, even, like, it blows my mind with Angela Hill, but that's, like, we've talked about her most multiple times over and over again. If you don't look like Valentina Shevchenko, Ioana Jacek, Paige Van Zandt, Michelle Waterson, or one of those type of, of, 
individuals, you're not getting the same type of of, of promotion. Oh, I, I I agree with you on that, but I still I'm still gonna. It's like one of my d- things my dad used to say. You could say somebody fired you from a job because it's racial, because you're a guy, because you're a girl, whatever. He goes, but were you doing your job exceptionally well? Did you miss days? Were you late? And he goes, I'm not saying that's the only factor, but you need to perform in a manner that takes some of the questions away. Michelle Watterson may be one of the pretty girls, as Felice Herrick calls her, but she's a pretty girl on a four, three, four, five winning one. Angela Hill, I think, could be a superstar. I've always said that, but Angela Hill can't put two wins together. So even though I want to support her, to me, the logical, the logic, that logic stands. You can't put two wins together. I can make an argument when you're winning. Michelle I can't make Parsons an argument when we lose one. Two wins together. Paige Van Zandt can oh. barely put two wins together. They're not stars. You could, Paige Van Zandt is not a star. No, not to not me. She's not a star to me. R- Ronda Rousey is a star. Misha Tate was a star. Paige Van Zandt could have been a star. Been, Michelle Watterson has been on the ESPN The Body uh, special. Mm-hmm. She has, what, two documentaries made uh, about her. She signed to WME, which is the biggest talent brand in entertainment today. I believe she's um, she's lined up to begin acting. Paige Van Zandt's been on Dancing with the Stars. She has one of the biggest following bases in MMA today. You cannot tell me they are not stars. They may not, they may not drive ratings. Like, they may not drive television ratings for for the UFC, but they have opened the door to opportunities outside of MMA to the point where they may not have to fight anymore. Well, I and I, I would go I would go with that, but I don't know that both of Michelle Waterson's documentaries were made after she's in the UFC. I think one of them was made before then, and a lot of and I'm, I'm once again. I think I think Michelle I think Angela Hill is criminally overlooked as far as her personality and her ability to sell. I think she's got a great personality, but just the way my mind works, you keep saying these people get better chances over you, but they all win more than you, and now, it's yeah, hard for me to get past that. You're right about that. You're right about that. Uh, she she does struggle when it comes to getting key wins when when people are watching. You know she's. She stepped in the fight, uh, Jessica Andrade, last minute. So that one I won't hold against her. But the last two losses she's had, they, they were detrimental to her promotional power as a star in MMA today. It's like when they when they bashed Connor. I get Connor gets opportunities. I get that. And as much as we bash Connor because he got handled by Khabib, let's let's remember Connor iced Alvarez in less than two rounds. He he iced Aldo, who was two all who two all time greats. He beat them inside of two rounds he was on like a four or five win streak before he got this title shot he beat mendez oh it was last minute he didn't know he was fighting mendez it was last minute for him too he beat a bunch of rank fight he had a better record to the title against tougher opposition than chad mendez has when he got his rematch or his first fight without like people keep acting like he wasn't beating people handily and doing it impressively like i understand people get pushed i understand this i understand that ronda rousey got a lot of favors but she was winning and winning decisively don't let the popularity exclude the fact they were dominant, clearly dominant when they were doing the when they were getting these opportunities. They weren't just okay fighters. I mean, maybe Paige Van Zandt, you can give me that, but even Paige Van Zandt was on a four or five win streak. You know, I mean, it, it's hard for me to just tear it down because they were beating legitimate people. Fleece Herrick, oh, she's a fraud. She beat she beat Fleece Herrick with an inch of her life on national TV. 
And then she still said she's say all a that. She, I mean, she she lost the first round. She won the last two handedly, though. Oh, she lost the first round, but Felice faded after the second. She she was taking a beating. I'm not saying she was gonna kill, her, but she was whooping her. And she just said she's a fraud. You told me that girl was a fraud. You told me she would choke under pressure, and that girl handled you. But you're saying she gets opportunities. You could have derailed her years ago. You could have ended her hype train, but you couldn't beat her. You know, I mean, and that, right. that's all. It's hard for me to ignore that one fact that you're not winning consistently. It's hard for me to ignore that. I can't get I mean, that out of my mind. I understand the unfairness. I get that. I see it every day. But it's like when I see someone get a passover of a job who's always on time, never misses work, and performs light years better than everybody else, that makes me frustrated. But if they're just a so-so worker who's getting passed over, eh, I mean, y'all are both so-so. One person's more appealing to a segment. Of course they're going with that person. Now, if you tell me you're great, now I'm angry for you because you're outstanding and you're getting passed over. I can't get mad because the so-so person got passed over. It just, it just doesn't resonate with me like that. I get the unfairness, but it doesn't resonate with me like that. Okay, so let's talk about the fights that were, were booked since we're talking about women's MMA where we've already talked about Valentina Shevchenko versus Yon Yuani and Jacek, so we don't have to talk about that one too much anymore. Let's talk about the, the newly announced Megan Anderson against Kat Zingano. This is a backup fight for UFC 231 in case if someone falls out of the Amanda Nunez Chris Cyborg fight. What do you think about this fight? I got a couple of questions for you in regards to it. This fight, in theory, if you look at the skill sets and you look at their last fight, this fight should be so easy for Kevin Zingano. She's more physical than Holly Holm. She's a better wrestler. And to a certain extent, in grappling, she, she's a more explosive athlete. But the thing is, Kat Zingano can't put two good rounds together. She never has in her entire career. She has won or lost or had competitive losses off essentially one good round of action. The rest of the point, she's 50-50, or she's just straight losing, or she wins in that one round. Misha Tate kicked her ass for two rounds. She finished her in the third, had one good round. Against the last win she had, Renault, she really only had one good round. And lost to Pena, one good round. And lost to Caitlin Vera, one good round. She's really only good for one good round, and I don't think that's going to be enough against Anderson. Anderson's big. She's strong. She's very good on... She's good on the feet she's aggressive she's physical and even though it looks like she can't wrestle i think the fact i think they caught her off guard she didn't expect holly home to wrestle she didn't expect that i don't know why I she didn't expect anybody that. did oh no i i expected that i was like i didn't say nothing because i get tired of doing people's job for them every all the analysts keep telling me they know what they're doing i knew that was coming i said that on my twitter she's going to try and wrestle her. she's been doing that for the last three or four fights just megan anderson got cocky and her camp clearly doesn't doesn't watch fights otherwise they would have seen that coming but I don't think she expected it. And the difference is Holly Holm is strong and physical, but Holly Holm's condition, she can do that round after round after round. I don't know that Katsungano can do that round after round. I've never seen her do it three rounds, two rounds in a row. So there's a good chance she takes her down and works over the first round. If she doesn't finish, she gasses and just hangs on for the next two, to be quite honest. So it technically, on paper, it should be easy, Singano. But based off the Zingano I've seen, who's not the athlete she used to be, and her stamina's gotten even worse, it looks like uh, Megan Anderson will turn on late and then put something on her, maybe stop it or just win a lopsided decision. Okay, all right. So let's let me ask you this: this is a this is considered a quote unquote backup fight for the main event. If Amanda Nunez or Chris Cyborg fight out, fall out. Who do you replace them with? Do you go with Cat or do you go with Anderson? I, um, to be honest, the, you know the weird thing is, 
Captain Gano's like one in four in her last fights in UFC, and Megan Anderson's 0 1 in the UFC. So we're going to have an 0 1 fighter come in and fight for the title? It, it just seems weird to me. I get why they're doing it. Um, I guess you have to go Zingano because at least she's coming off of a win. Because Holly Holm worked Anderson over, and Holly Holm got beat up by Cyborg. So you can't put Anderson in there, can you? Like, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? But this is the fight everybody's been talking about for a long time. She was actually supposed to get that <gasps> shot before Holm. Did people, did people think that Anderson was going to beat Cyborg? I don't think... I'm not necessarily saying people would, thought she was going to beat her, but that was a fight that people were looking to see for an extended period of time. I will tell you this. These MMA fans are bloodthirsty ghouls. There is no need to see that fight. I mean, we've always... No need. Do. We watch people get fight. We watch people step into a steel <laughs> cage and fight. That is terrible. Anderson, she just doesn't hit hard enough. She's not fast enough. She's not quick enough. Holly Holm was muscling her on the ground. Do you have any idea what Cyborg would have done if she got her hands on this girl? Violence, dude. Violence. I mean, they would put her in jail for the... They, they put people away for life for that kind of violence. That's the kind of stuff you videotape and send to Twitter so you can expose this violent offender. Except for some reason, people would allow this to happen. I mean, I get why they would make that fight because everybody looked forward to it. But you can't have Anderson fight Cyborg off that loss at home. You just can't. I don't, I don't see how you could justify that. I don't see how you could explain that. And if she has two crushing losses, one to home that was technically and strategically crushing, and then Cyborg, who was going to beat her with an inch of her life, physically crushing, what do you do with Anderson then next? She's just ruined. At least if Zingano gets knocked out the paint, it'll be exciting, it'll be short, and it'll be a spectacular win for Cyborg because if Zingano doesn't finish, she ain't going to have nothing less, and Cyborg will close the show on her. But at least Zingano's coming off a win. Uh, I, I haven't even seen Anderson do anything of value in the UFC since she's been there, and it's only been one fight, but good lord, I, I don't see how you could spin the Anderson fight. I, I, I guess you could do it anyways, but the, legit, the legitimacy of it would take such a hit, but once again, this MMA, they don't care about that, so I guess go ahead and do whatever you want. Alright, man, so let's um, let's move on to the next fight. Derek Lewis and Daniel Cormier. This fight is now the main event for UFC 230. Uh, Derek Lewis is coming off of a last-minute Hail Mary win over Alexander Volkov. Daniel Cormier is coming off of a first-round run over Stipe Miocic. He's talking about the fact that there's a couple of different things with this uh, fight I want to I look at. First, they're fighting in New York, where that group is very stringent with their medical processes. Cormier has talked about his fingers broken and he can't make a he can't really make a fist. Lewis is actually on medical suspension beyond this fight, so he's actually technically not supposed to fight here. Um, and I think the INSAC adjusted that suspension. Talk to me about this fight before we go into the actual technical breakdown. I mean, everyone's picking Cormier, and I don't and I don't blame them for that. From a business standpoint. Was this the right decision to try to rush Derek Lewis back for this fight right now? And what does this say about the about the health process within MMA? First of all, it was the right business decision. I know it's not short term. It's short term thinking. It does nothing nothing for the credibility of the sport and legitimacy. It just makes the sport look like a, as you say, a shit show, a poorly run shit show. But the fact of the matter is, Derek Lewis is in this fight because of his pre his activity on Twitter and his post-fight antics. This is the guy who, by all intents and purposes, a big, dark, scary-looking black guy who shouldn't have anywhere near the popularity he has. 
Why does he have it? He's got natural charisma. He's got natural charm. He's got a good sense of humor, and he says whatever the fuck he wants to say. He he knows he knows how to engage with crowds. He knows how to engage with people. His his post fight speech was like watched by like three million people, dude. People just watch that. I, people I know who don't even like fights watch that post fight speech. Like, what do you think about that, Derek Lewis? He's a great fight, right? No, he's not. But he's a great personality. He understands how to work social media. He knows how to work his fans. He knows how to work the organization. Something all these lesser popular fighters, because he's in a weak division, beating up weak fighters, and yet he's one of the biggest stars in the UFC, and he's become one. And basically, he's become huge far in about a year and a half, two years. And part of that time, he was retired. So don't tell me that you need the UFC to push you, because they didn't push Derek Lewis. He made his own star. So this makes perfect sense because he's the only guy who, who's got the personality to sell a fight, who's got enough appeal to sell a fight. Technically, it's not interesting at all, but the personality, it's kind of like the McGregor versus Mayweather thing. The personality is what's going to help it sell. So as far as a business move, uh, yeah, it, it's great for that short-term quick heat, as they call it, in, in pro wrestling. But long-term, it's, it's bad. It's just not good planning at all long-term. It's just... It's just a shit show. It's an unprofessional shit show, too. So, from a, from a, I guess, technical standpoint, you know, this fight time here, what do you think about I, this fight stylistically? Who do you think wins and why? First of all, I have to say, and I am going to reference my article I wrote on MMA ratings like six months ago, probably when he fought in Ganu. I wrote five reasons Derek Lewis is not elite. Derek Lewis is an elite athlete in the sense that he's big, he's strong, he's agile for his size, he's very explosive for his size, and he's very, even for a heavyweight, he is extremely durable, and he's got a lot of heart. But Derek Lewis, technically, he doesn't do anything really well. He doesn't kickbox well. He doesn't box well. He surely does not wrestle or grapple well. It, it's a miracle that he keeps winning these fights because he essentially is, every fight he's won, He's been losing up until the point he knocks somebody out, except against Roy Nelson, where he just kept landing bombs, but getting taken down and Roy didn't do anything. But all his other fights, he's been losing clearly until he gets the knockout. It's, it, it's hard to match the fight up technically because there's nothing really good that he does well technically. Basically, he's good on the counter. Like if you, He can't really lead. He doesn't have a jab. He doesn't have really a consistent front kick. He doesn't seem to have the cardio to consistently work himself in the range or take those angles and pressure he's essentially a guy who walks into range or you start backing him up he has good timing and he'll counter you with a big shot and he's tough enough that he can eat a shot on the way to countering so he can get in these exchanges that allow him to turn the turn the fight around and he's so tough that you get used to hitting him and you think that you have him you think that he's quit so then you start getting sloppy you start getting wide your takedowns get a little sloppy you hang around in the pocket a little bit longer you throw naked kicks you get hit with one big shot, and you like, oh, he doesn't have enough energy to follow up with that, and then he hits you with another one. That's essentially the trick to Derek Lewis. You cannot ever let your guard down because he's going to fight till the last minute of the fight, and he's good on the counter, and he's good in exchanges. So if you get cocky, you start shuffling your feet and, and dropping your hands, he's going to lay you out. You throw a naked kick, he's going to lay you out. You hang around the pocket too long, he's going to lay you out. You get stuck in a bad position, he's going to elbow you into the, through the mat. That's basically his skill. That's basically his weapon. Technically, he doesn't do anything well enough to beat anybody. If he was a lightweight, he would lose. If he's a light heavyweight, he would lose. If he's a welterweight, he would lose. Only in the heavyweight division is his blend of size, durability, and athleticism enough to keep him at a world-class level. 
really that that's really all it comes down to. Um, as far as Cormier, Cormier's a better wrestler technically, even though Cormier's not a great striker. He's a better defensive striker, better offensive striker. Um, the problem with Cormier is going to be you can jump on Cormier early. Cormier's Cormier's been hit early by Uzumir. He's been hit early by Johnson. He's been hit early by Jones. You can get to Cormier. He got hit early by Stipe. You can get to Cormier early. And Lewis has the kind of power that if he gets to you early, there's really no coming back from it. I've never seen somebody come back from Lewis putting a two-piece on him. I don't think I've ever seen it. If he gets that one-two on you, it's essentially lights out. And I think he's got enough power to put Daniel Cormier out. And Cormier likes to pressure. Cormier likes to get his hands on you and grind you and, and grind you down and beat you up. That kind of fight is going to give give Lewis the opportunities to find the counters he wants to get. And it's going to give him the opportunities to land the shots he wants to land. And even early on, being so big and athletic, Lewis should be able to get up a couple times or defend a couple takedowns and land some bombs. But it's such a disadvantage, technically, and, and that, that lack of technique allows Cormier to pick which way he wants to fight this fight. Stick and move, pressure, box and wrestle, wrestle and box, kickbox. He has a lot of other options because the skill set, is so, the gap in skills is so wide. But as I said before, the one thing that makes Lewis so dangerous isn't so much his power, is that he has excellent timing and he can hang in there long enough and he's always willing to fight. He's always looking for that opening to end the fight. So if you give him even a, the slightest crack in the door, you throw that kick a little bit slow, you bring your hands back a little bit slow, you stand in front of him a little bit too long, it's lights out. So it'll be interesting, even if he's dominated for the entirety of the fight, because everybody's going to be waiting for that moment, for Lewis to make that comeback, make that run. You know it's coming. But as far as actual technique, it shouldn't be very interesting at all, and it should be a fairly one-sided fight, like most Derek Lewis fights are. He's either just going to get beat the whole fight or have a few moments, or he's going to get beat up and then land some Hail Mary shot that's going to put Cormier away, and he's going to beat the title. I'll call it a 50-50 fight because Lewis seems to have this ability to be to beat superior technicians, superior strategists, and superior fighters at the last second possible. So it's always a chance he could do that. He's proven that. So I'm going to say it's 50-50, but as far as actual skills and actual freedom, range of techniques and, and strategies they could use, it's hilariously one-sided for Daniel Cormier. So I just saw a question on Twitter a minute ago about what will Cormier's legacy be if he doesn't fight John Jones again? You know, because this he's ta- openly talked about only fighting, I think, two or three more times. I think he has two more times on his contract now. One of those is supposed to be against Brock Lesnar. If he takes this fight, well, with this fight, that would mean that the Brock Lesnar one would be the last one. Should he hold out and fight John Jones again? Does that matter? How does that impact his legacy? Uh, right now, he could he could go down as one of the best heavyweights, cleanly, one of the best heavyweights of all time. He won the Strikeforce Grand Prix, beat some good guys there. He came into the UFC, beat a, guy, a lot of guys who were either for, former top five heavyweights or former champions. He beat the guy who's defended the title, the UFC heavyweight title, more times than anybody. It was considered possibly one of the best heavyweights of all time in the UFC's history. So as far as a heavyweight, he could, he has a clear stake as being one of the best heavyweights, bar none, in mixed martial arts history, UFC history. As far as a light heavyweight thing, it's still kind of a question. I'd say at light heavyweight, he's he's the number two guy. He was never able to beat the man in the division, and it, and that's just always going to hang over him. 
He's going to be a guy who's been close to being the best, close to being the kingpin, but never was able to cross that line. And even though he got the title, it was on a technicality. It's because John Jones disqualified himself. It's not because he ever beat John Jones. And you could tell me it's about the drugs, he had PEDs, but if Daniel Cormier would have beat John Jones on PEDs, you think Cormier would have been like, oh, no, this win doesn't count. He would have said, yeah, I beat him. So if you wouldn't disqualify the win for yourself, I can't have you disqualify Jones's win because Jones really just outsmarted you and out-techniqued you. He, he, he rope-a-doped you, basically. He told you he was going to hit you with, and he hit you with it. So, so still, Daniel's an all-time great light heavyweight, but he's not the man at the division because he never beat the man. At heavyweight, he can say he was the man. He can say he's a top three heavyweight of all time because of who he's beat and and the fact that he he moved up a weight class to do so. And he's he, he won belts in two major organizations. But at light heavyweight, he's a number two, which is still great, but he's still a clear number two. He hasn't done anything technically to prove to me that he would still beat Jones. And I'd have to see him beat Jones. And even if you beat him, Jones has already beat you twice. And yeah, he failed the drug test after one, that doesn't mean he fit, he was using drugs the first time. So even if you take that away, y'all be one and one in the series of three. Even though Jones did beat you by decision in one and knocked you out in the second, I would even give you one and one. But that still only be one and one. And that it, it would depend on how he beat Jones. So his division, he's he's an all-time great in two divisions, but he's, he, he only has an argument of being the very best in one, which would be heavyweight. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with that. Not gonna disagree with that at all. Let's move on to the next big fight that was announced. Speaking of John Jones, he's fighting Alexander Gustafsson for the second time. I think uh, that fight is booked for next year. I don't remember what event number, but this is actually for the light heavyweight title because they're gonna strip Daniel Cormier as soon as this fight takes place. What do you think about this battle here? Because it's interesting to me because John Jones has always talked about the idea that he took Gustafsson easy. He took him lightly the first time they fought. But now he's coming off of another major layoff. What do you think about this fight here? And is this a opportunity for Gustafsson to submit himself as a top player in this sport? Has Gustafsson fought recently? He's been off for a while. I think his last one against was against Glover Teixeira. That was a long time ago. That was like a year ago, right? Uh, I think so. He no, has pulled out of two fights since. Yeah, I, I mean, him and Jones haven't. I mean, I don't think him and Jones have been – him and Jones' inactivity is actually pretty close. I know Jones is coming off a spell, and, you know, he was for the drug suspension, but as far as I know, he's still been training. But Gustafsson hasn't fought at all since he beat Teixeira. So that's, what, close to a, close to a year, maybe a little bit more? So I, I don't really know that the rust affects either one any more so than affects the other. Um, it's really the same fight. Gustafsson – I think Jones has probably improved a little bit more strategically. Gustafsson, to me, has the same holes he's always had. He gets by on a lot of footwork. Not good with footwork, but active footwork. He moves around a lot. He's very long. He can, he's tough, and he can, he can kind of push through to throw a lot of volume. But as far as technically, his striking's never been really all that great. I mean, he can take some angles. He can pivot out. But his, his footwork's never been as good as people say it is. Otherwise, he wouldn't get hit as much or taken down as much. And his offense, while... While intelligent offense, it's once again, it's not particularly technically sharp, and he's not a really dynamic striker. He, he just doesn't hit really hard. He doesn't hit for power. He hits for average. He's not a dynamic kicker, not a dynamic puncher, not a dynamic wrestler, not a dynamic grappler. He's the kind of guy who gets by on a, a high motor and durability. He wears people down with his volume. He wears people down with his mobility. 
they get tired, they run into shots, they get overwhelmed, and he he wears them out. Um, unless Jones is just really falling off a cliff, and he really is a a creature made up by PEDs, I don't really see how Gustafsson wins this. He's not the better wrestler. He's not the better striker. He's not better at various striking or wrestling ranges, and he doesn't transition between wrestling, striking, and grappling as well as John Jones does. And I, and I think John Jones is physically stronger than him. He's always a tough matchup because he can take it and because he sets such a high pace early in fights. But if you can work with him and press him and engage with him, he usually sl- starts slowing down as early as late in the second round. And that's when guys start coming on. That's when guys start putting it on him. Um, I really see this fight. It's either going to be a blowout for Jones or it's going to be very similar to the first one, mainly because Jones and him have been inactive and nobody's had any live rounds as far as actual fights. But I think every fight between these guys is going to be a competitive one due to the styles, the styles, and that's what makes the fight. But I don't see how Gustafsson beats him unless Jones' chin disappears or Jones' ability to transition disappears or his striking disappears. And I don't think either one of those things is going to happen. So I think it's kind of similar to the first fight, um, but Jones should still win it, in my opinion. I haven't seen Gustafsson improve enough to the point where I would expect him to be able to beat Jones. And I know he's declined physically, too, so he doesn't have that one-punch shot to turn it around, and he he doesn't have the defensive skills to avoid Jones, and he doesn't have the offensive skills to finish Jones. So I I figure Jones will weather an early storm. It'll be at a high pace. Gustafsson will start slowing down, and Jones will start turning it up on him, and he might get a finish this time, but it'll, it'll be very early on. It'll be back and forth like the first fight. Would you would you have Jones to win? Yeah, I mean he okay. he might just smoke him, but I, I think it'll be I think it'll be very competitive. But I, I think Jones is going to come on late, and then he'll start walking him down, chopping him up, and walking him down. Gustafsson just has too many holes on the feet for me, and, and he's really just too limited a fighter. I mean, he hasn't beaten anybody with a really good skill set. He never had to face a baiter. He he pushed Cormier, but he wasn't able to beat him. He got smoked by Anthony Johnson. You know, even Teixeira had spots, had some surprising spots of offense with him. So I think he's the kind of guy who can push you and test you. I don't really know he's the guy who can beat you or finish you. He's never been that guy against anybody anybody of an elite nature. Not that I've seen. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll take that analysis there. I think that this is going to be an, an intriguing bout for um. For whatever, what's what the hell's his name? Uh, Gustafson, you know, because he's been he's been talking a he's been talking a lot. He's been talking a big game. Um, you know, it's, how can I put it into words? My thoughts about Gustafson. I've always kind of I've always wondered about what his ceiling is, especially after he was knocked out by Anthony Johnson. And I've wondered if that was his ceiling. That was his moment. That was his opportunity to be the guy, but it just didn't work out. Um, yeah, I think he's already hit it, ceiling. I think he's already hit it. I think he hit it. I think he hit it with Jones. If he didn't hit it with Jones, he hit it with Cormier. I think he's already hit his ceiling. This is as good as he's gonna get. He's been as good as he's gonna get for the last four years. He hasn't fought very much either. He really hasn't fought a lot since, and he's been living off that pushing Jones and pushing Cormier for years. He hasn't really been very active or been particularly impressive when he has been, to be honest. So, I mean, he's been talking a lot of stuff, and this is he. He it worked for him. He's got the shot he's got to make it count because if he loses again he's essentially out of the race in the ufc he'll have to go to bellator to be a, a title contender he's out of it that'll be two losses to jones for the title and cormier is not coming back so what else is there for him until jones drops the title is he just going to wait around for that 
I don't know, dude. You're like he he's he's uh, I just don't know how to really put him. He's kinda he reminds me of like I think about Gustafson maybe I think about a Cam Newton. Like, dude, he could be so effing great. What is keeping him from getting over the hurdle? Yeah, you got me. I mean, it's I used to think greatness was there for him, but I, after that Jones fight, I thought that was the best he had to offer, and it just wasn't good enough. And even when he fought Cormier, I didn't think he'd have enough for him. I mean, even when he was giving him a tough go, I just didn't think he had enough, and he, and he just didn't. And he's had some favorable matchups. He was able to navigate the light heavyweight division and get into title spots. But um, like I said, it seems like he's kind of got full of himself a little bit, and he was expecting, like, I'm a name, and we should just fight again and rematch. And it's like, asking for rematches and fights you decisively lost. They were competitive, but you decisively lost. The only way you can get this rematch is if you beat these guys and get back in position. He wasn't able to beat these guys. The Texera fight wasn't good enough. And losing to Johnson, the way he lost to was, was crushing to any hope he had to be a title contender. And, I mean, he's another guy. He's like, he's not even the number two guy. He's more like the number three guy. He's in a similar situation as Cormier, but he's, he wasn't even able to get it done. He faced the number two guy, so He's kind of in that situation, a guy who was clearly one of the best light heavyweights of all time, a guy who was never able to be one or two light heavyweights or three light heavyweights. You have to be, be considered really great. It would be Cormier, Jones, and Johnson. Those would be the three guys who really were dominant, and that makes sense that he was never able to beat any of You're breaking up a little bit there, too. Um, breaking up a little bit there, too, so... I want to use that as an opportunity to segue into our next fight to talk about. Um, the last two aren't really that big. I don't really, um, I don't want to talk about the Chapman in this fight. Let's talk about Michael Chandler and Brett Primus. Chandler's finally getting that rematch. Brett Primus has been, I'm not going to say ducking him. He's been a little bit elusive with getting this final fight there. But I don't know if the card's been announced, but that that rematch is finally happening. How do you, how do you uh, break this down? I'm curious, and I, I don't know what your thoughts on this. How does, without having defended it at all, how does Primus still have the belt? Hasn't it been like almost two years since he beat Chandler? No, that was last year. Okay. Um, that was last year that that incident happened. I think he had. Wasn't a, it, was it July last year, though? Uh, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, I'm going to pull it up right now. That was June, 20, June 2017. I mean, that's like a year and four months, almost. I mean, it's going to be like almost a year and a half before he actually fights Chandler. Chandler's had like, I think, two fights since then, if I recall correctly, two or three. He's had two. Two. I mean, Primus hasn't had any fights. He hasn't shown up anywhere. He hasn't done any interviews that I know of. Like, I know that's not what you asked me, but how do you keep the belt when you haven't defended it or explained anything for almost, by this time, but a year and a half? Like, nothing? It's just weird. It's just very weird to me that you're the champion and you haven't defended it, but the challenger who lost is still fighting fairly regularly. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, he's supposed to fight in April of this year, but he had a uh, knee injury. Hmm. Okay, well, I guess they spin it any way they want. Uh, the one thing, the one thing before I get into the actual technical analysis, the problem with Bellator is. Like, we've talked about this so many times. The top five positions, they're pretty solid. They have UFC-level guys, whatever you want to call it. But after that, they don't have enough guys to create interesting new matchups. I mean, if Primus wins, like, I guess you've never seen Primus versus Pitbull. You, you have some interesting matchups moving forward. But if Chandler wins, it's like he's already 
cleared out the division more or less. I mean, it, it, to the degree that he's beat these guys before, all it is is rematches for the second, third, or fourth time, and it's it's really hard to sell that. It's really hard to sell fights where a guy has decisively won and just have him fight the same guy again because that guy has put enough to get wins together during that time frame. I'm not say, saying against the guy earning it or getting his position back, but it's, it's really hard because it's the same three or four fights in almost every division because they only have like three or four legitimate contending fighters in every division. There's just not enough guys to really build any momentum or develop a guy when he's on a, he has a bad loss because they don't have a deep enough division in any weight class they have. Um, I'm probably going to have to go Chandler. I mean, I know the injury happened, and the injury happened as a result of what Primus was doing, but I have to believe that Chandler is he's the better athlete to me. He's the harder hitter. He's the more proven fighter. And I, I have to believe a guy like him is smart enough to have made an adjustment to figure out what he needs to do to be Primus. Primus wasn't having a whole lot of success outside of those kicks. Not really. He wasn't doing anything that was really hitting him in the ground. So if Chandler can either put enough pressure where he can't get those off, or he has a to a counter for him, which I would expect him to have. He seems like a smart enough guy to do that. Then it should be Chandler fairly, fairly, fairly handily. I, I think that prime fight, I, I just don't think he's a particularly fighter. I, I haven't seen anything that says All things being equal, Chandler. I mean, Chandler's not Chandler's vulnerable, but Chandler should have a guy like Prime. If he doesn't, he's going to start talking about or doing his career before. Should be able to outrun finish him. Honestly, he should be able to get him on feet too. There's always a chance that he could suffer another injury or maybe get knocked out But he, in my opinion, he's a much better striker. He's a much better athlete. Much better wrestler. So he should be able to, if nothing else, have a pure five round win. If not top. Hey, Schwan, Schwan, you're breaking up there, man. I don't want to cut you off, dude, because it was getting progressively worse. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so um, I heard that you picked Chandler, so I'm just gonna let it, I'm gonna let it in there because like your your audio was getting a little bit progressively worse there. Um, we have UFC Mono, was it Monicaton, whatever? When is that? Is that this weekend? Is it one this weekend? No, next weekend. So we don't have any fights this weekend. No Bellator event. Uh, we have a PFL on Saturday. Where, I mean, Roy Cooper is fighting Jake Shields again. He already smashed him once. Rick Story, is there anything on this card that stands out to you? No, I mean, not nothing super important. Nothing's going to change the, the landscape of the fighting. Not really. I'd like to see who's going to win, who gets that money, who moves ahead. But outside of that, not really. Not matchup-wise, no. Yeah, I'm not. It's funny. A friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to this event. Uh, we'll see. What happens? But yeah, I'm not. I'm not too impressed about that. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for the PFL. They they have an interesting program, an interesting idea, but some of their rules have come up with some really odd matchups and some really odd results that is going to kind of take away from their plan and some of the uh, some of the positive press they were getting early on. It's just it's hard to run a business the way they're trying to run it, and it's still good for the sport for competition reasons. You know, having more organizations, but some of the, the way they do it is just the rule set is just kind of questionable. It's a little shaky. I don't know if it works for mixed martial arts. 
Okay, all right. Um, I mean, I don't have too much to add after that. Uh, let everybody know what you're working on this week, man. Let's go ahead and start closing up the show. Tell everybody uh, what you got coming. Um, I'm still. I've got some articles in the tunnel. It's just taking me a long time to get to them because my laptop is just killing me right now. It just really is. But um, I, I'll 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 report back when I have it function. I can really give you some deadlines on when I'm going to have stuff coming out. Uh, mostly, it's just doing the podcast right now. To be to be honest, until I get my laptop situation fixed. But uh, mostly, it's just podcasts, being on Twitter, answering questions, and making guest appearances on podcasts when people want me to, to show up on them. Well, there you go, sir. I mean, I have all of my content. I'm doing uh, grappling coverage all over the place now. Um, I have a couple of pieces I'm working on for uh, MMA ratings this week. Um, I have, you know, I mean, it's usual, dude, wrestling, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you know where to find my content, dude. I got a new wrestling podcast I'm trying to launch this week or next week. So, dog, it's, it's, it's about to pick up, man. So 20, the rest of 2018 and 2019 is about to get serious, dude. I don't understand how you talk about pick up, dude. You don't ever put nothing down. <laughs> I was about to pick up for you. Jeez, busiest man in America. There is no, there, there's no law against saying no. I just don't have the time for something. You know that, right? I mean, I hear you. <laughs> you hear me, but are you listening? Like they said, uh, white men can't jump. You hear me? You hear Jimmy? No, you <laughs> listen. You don't hear him. I mean, we'll see. We'll see, dude. But you know what the deal is, man. Let everybody know where to follow us before we um, close out. As always, you can find us on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud. Are, are we doing Spotify yet? Is that, is that uh, a done deal? I think, I think Mike is working on that. Okay. Well, soon you will be able to hear us on Spotify. But until then, you got the YouTube. You got SoundCloud. And um, I think we're on FM.net as well. There's a couple of different people who put our stuff on different things. But um, those are the two main sites you can find us on. And also on Combat Press, they do a podcast. They have they have a podcast section, and they also put us on there as well. Or you go to Midnight Mania. The show should post, if not tonight, it'll post first thing tomorrow night. But, you know, those are three different, four different outlets you can go to to find us if you want to listen to the content. Once again, thank you for your renewed support and continued support. And we'll keep doing our best to get good content out there for you. Exactly, man. And um, as with that, you know, you can follow Swan at Black Jordan Breen. On Twitter, you can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports. And we're just here to do the damn thing, man. So with that all being said, thank you again for allowing us to reach 100 episodes, following and listening to our content. We've had some huge shows this last uh, these last few weeks. So as always, thank you for listening to our content. And we'll be back next week once again with episode 101, pushing towards 200. Here It starts today. So thanks, everyone, and have a great night, everybody. Have a great night.